0: are listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats. Today, we are talking about debugging. Here are some we're going to go through like first, we're going to go through some tips. How do you get good at debugging? How do you tackle a problem that seems impossible to fix and go through these steps to actually figure out what it is? And then we'll go through some of the tools that we actually use to make Debugging and development easy. Today's episode is sponsored by two awesome companies. First one is FreshBooks. They provide awesome cloud accounting software, and the second is Coffee Cup Software. But more specifically, they just launched a CSS CRID design tool, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that partway through the episode. It's actually pretty sweet. I know that you think Im- immediately think about a design tool. You think back to uh, like a Dreamweaver or something like that, and that's what I did too, but uh, I actually checked it out, and uh, the code it puts out is pretty, pretty sweet. So we'll uh, we'll talk partway through them, partway through them, partway through the episode. (laughs)
0: How are you doing today, Scott? Hey, I'm doing good. I just came back from a long trip. I went to Romania for a conference. And I am exhausted. Definitely taking a little while to recover here. But everyone will be happy to know there is a terrible part two to my health (laughs) adventures, (laughs) which is actually sort of related to the first part. And so, like, I don't know if you remembered me mentioning that Courtney uh, also got sick and had to go. Well, her thing that she got sick for was actually a uh, sort of like a reaction to getting strep throat. It was like the strep throat and then that infection like did something else and that's why she had to go to the doctors. So she had strep throat, right? Okay. Yeah. And I I had whatever, just that, that thumb thing going on that it was an infection, right? So, well, I, you know, we all think we're good. I go to Romania and I go on, you know, two like straight days of traveling and I end up in Romania and I get there at three in the morning and I pass out and I wake up with the worst strep throat I have ever had. It was like, oh. I'm speaking the next day, and all I can think is, I'm in Romania. I don't know where I am. And I have n- like no access to anything. And I just, I just like my throat has been dominated. So, uh, yeah, uh, after struggling to figure out how to contact a doctor or something, I finally got a doctor to my room, went, <laughs> went to the pharmacy, and got antibiotics. And believe it or not, after taking that in like two days or a day or whatever, My throat was actually decent enough to talk, but I definitely wasn't definitely wasn't feeling great after all that. Here's to not getting sick ever again, because what the heck?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I just I just got off the last week. I was pretty like feeling run down and, and not feeling great. And it just sucks, especially like like it's probably has something to do with kids. Kids are always sick. And I feel like I've been super sick all of the past winter. And I'm just looking forward to it being Warm out and hopefully taking a break from all this sickness kind of dragging you down because it's such a bummer when you're trying to get stuff done and you get hit by a truck of of sickness.
0: No kidding. Yeah. And and obviously the the travel and the not sleeping and the time zones and all that stuff made it much worse. And yeah, agreed. I'm home. I'm ready to chill out. I'm ready to get some work done and uh, be totally not sick forever.
1: Wicked. All right, so let's jump into it. Uh, So we've got about sixteen different tips. We're just going to rattle through them, and then we're going to go through a whole bunch of the different Dev Tools tabs that will help you actually debug stuff. So we're going to be coming at this from primarily a front-end web developer standpoint, and some Node as well. But primarily things that you can do when you're debugging JavaScript, CSS, debugging HTML. I guess that I've been there before. You forget to close a tag and everything becomes nested inside of each other. So first tip that we have is to actually read the stack trace or to actually (laughs) read the error message. Yeah, and it's funny that this is a bit of a joke, but it's also often what happens is that when an error happens, specifically in JavaScript, you just get this massive dump into your console, into Node, and it's just so big that most people freak out and don't even look at it all because it just seems like nonsense and especially because a lot of the like paths that it gives you are in your node modules directory and it's like well i didn't author that it couldn't be an error in there but what i like to tell people is to like take a deep breath and actually take each of the, what the stack trace is, maybe we should explain what this is. A stack trace is sort of like a a treasure map of what happened up until the accident. So if a function called another function, and that called another function in a library, and it called another function in a library, what it's doing is it's sort of following, following the hops of function calls to the actual, to the point where it actually choked, right? And usually what you have to do is to read the first, three or four lines of your stack trace to figure out where the actual error is happening. And there's often a lot of nonsense in there, a lot of paths that are not helpful to you. And uh, you can, if you can learn to ignore them or even in my node course, what I did, is uh, I wrote a little filter on the stack trace to highlight the actual file name where the error was happening because most people, what happens in my courses is people just email me a huge stack trace without even looking at Mm -hmm. it. So I just just wrote a little debugger that would highlight the names of the files and that helped a lot because it sort of just highlighted where it was actually happening. So read the stack trace, that's super important. You can get a lot of information as to what is happening in the stack trace.
0: Yeah, and I think this one goes overlooked a lot because... there are just so many times where I get customer service emails or, or get issues on a, a GitHub repo or something, and a lot of it, it, the the time that you're spent even doing that or sending an email and waiting for a response could totally be mitigated if you were to just read maybe the first line or the second line. And per- perhaps that's a, the the clue that you need to solve this thing but a lot of times people see this big error and then all of a sudden they just get concerned and maybe stop or maybe they just don't even know you know how to look at it but you know just even reading it and trying to take that into context of what you're working on and how it fits in is really just such a big thing and a big skill that will go a long ways despite seeming sort of basic and obvious, right? It's definitely something that you just need to have practice with and you need to force yourself to just read and, and get by that.
1: You know, it's one cool thing about stack traces in Create React app that I learned when I was recording my re-recording my React for Beginners course is that the stack traces. First of all, Create React app does an awesome job. Awesome job. They they catch the stack trace and they actually display it visually to you on the page instead of in the console or in your terminal, which is great because. Uh, stack traces in the terminal suck. But you can also click on the stack trace files and it will automatically open up that file in your VS code and to the line where the error actually happened. Mm -hmm. And my mind was blown when that happened. I didn't know that until I was recording and accidentally clicked on it. So hot tip there.
0: Yeah, I think that is absolutely brilliant. In, in, In tools that do this kind of thing, that make error debugging like that much easier by even maybe potentially showing you where the issue in the code is like what line. Uh, I think that's just unbelievable. It's it's one of those things that can only get better, right? Totally. Yeah. Next
1: one is make sure you aren't debugging production. So (laughs) this is a silly one as well, but I've done this a thousand times where you're trying to you are uh, also maybe I should add to this. Make sure you're not debugging production. Make sure you're not cached. Because Mm -hmm. those two things, I've pissed away so much time on. Yeah, especially with
0: caching, because you you just like, well, this, and maybe you're you're trying to fix a problem that's already been solved. It's just you're getting the old version in the cache. Yeah, oh, that's the worst.
1: (laughs) So, uh, like, just check yourself. I've so many times I've been refreshing the actual live site when the local site was not, and then also make sure if you've got think about it, because often I have like a like one or two levels of caching turned on like the other day I my own website was not refreshing uh, and it turned out that I had my I forgot to turn off my Cloudflare mm. Uh caching so You have to turn that off and you have to wait like 10 minutes for that to clear and then it starts immediately showing up
0: yeah and also if you're de- debugging react in your production mode it like changes all of the component names in the react dev tools and that can just be a huge mess um, sure I mean you can turn that off but yeah Okay, yeah, the next one is going to be check the network panel for the whole response. Now, this was sort of a game changer for me when I figured out this, especially when you're working with APIs and stuff like that. Now, this one is super duper important even for things like GraphQL or any time that you're doing any sort of network requests or maybe an image isn't loading or something like that. In the network tab in your dev tools, it's going to show you every single network request that your site makes and when they made it, how long it took, the file, and whether or not it was successful. Now, what you might not know is that you can click on any of these and you can get the entire request, the response, the timing, and all that sort of stuff. And oftentimes when there's, well not oftentimes, but when there is a failed request, that request is going to show up as red. So if you are working in anything, whether it be an API call or a GraphQL or something and your data isn't coming in, especially if you've messed up a a GraphQL query and you click that and you look into the response, the response is most likely going to tell you the problem, especially when with graphql it tells you exactly what the problem is so if you are having issues where things aren't showing up, check that out. Again, some of the simple things are like how many times have you been like, why isn't this image showing up? And maybe the image is in the wrong folder or maybe it's not doesn't have the right permissions or something. But if you check that network panel, you can see the actual request made and see if it was successful and see if that's coming back and actually working.
1: I really like this tip because one big thing that happens when I'm teaching newbies JavaScript is that it's it's really hard to understand what cores is. So Core stands for cross-origin resource sharing. And and what that means is that when you're sharing data or, or scripts between domain names, you've got uh, mybank.com and you've got westboss.com, By default, data is not allowed to go from one domain name to another domain name because what could happen is that westboss.com could request drain my bank account method (laughs) on on mybank.com. And as soon as you visited it, if you were logged in on your bank, then I could drain your bank account, right? Like you just can't have that. So each domain is generally sandbox. However, there's lots of cases where you wanna share data between domain names. APIs share data between domain names you might have like for example i have many domain names i have react for beginners and i also have learnnode.com i want to share data between those two websites because i want to i want to share like who what products people have bought between the two domain names but i don't want to share it with absolutely every website out there. So what cores will do is cores will allow you to define what domain names can access the data. And often what will happen is people will get this like obscure error message, or especially with when you're using JSON P, which is, uh, we don't want to explain that right now, but (laughs) if you're using JSON P, it'll often tell you cannot read property O of undefined. And it's just this very obscure one. And if you go into your network panel, you can often see the data that you're trying to request back but you can't actually access it with JavaScript because because of cores, because of the security model of the browser. So, again, open up your network tab and if you can see the data, but you're not able to access it in JavaScript, it's likely a cores issue and it will have thrown some cores issue. It's it's that access control allow origin header message that you often
0: see. Yeah, that's the worst.
1: <laughs> or the best if you don't want your bank account drained. Yes. <laughs> What do we got next here? Uh, use debugger commands in the browser. So uh, we're probably all used to using console logs all over the world. But there's also this concept of setting breakpoints in, in the browser. And, and what a breakpoint is, is you can generally go into your code and click like a little red dot on a specific line or on a specific function and what will happen is the code will stop running at that breakpoint it will break at that point right and in that's that's kind of cool but what you can also do is instead of having to go through your DevTools panel and setting those breakpoints, you can just pop the keyword debugger semicolon anywhere in your JavaScript. And what will happen is if your Dev Tools are open, it will freeze JavaScript from running and then it will pop open. It'll sort of like allow you to peer into the application as it were that one second. And that's really helpful when. It's helpful in all kinds of use cases, but uh, one use case that I specifically use it for is when you have what's called a race condition where sometimes you find yourself being like, okay, when this is running, it says cannot read property undefined, but when I console log it, it's fine and it has that method there. Like why can't I access this property? Why can't I access this method? And that's usually because you have a race condition where one thing is running a little bit quicker than another, and that's that's a whole nother world of pain where you have to get into asynchronous fixes. But setting a breakpoint will allow you to pause it at that point where you would normally just console log it, and then you can peer into. And that's some of my future tips, how how to peer into what the JavaScript looks like at that point.
0: Uh, Yeah. Another good one here is using source maps. Now, source maps are something that uh, have become much more important nowadays because we have all this code that's compiled, whether it's our CSS that's been compiled from SAS or Stylus, whether it's our JavaScript that's been transformed from ES6 to something that the browser is compatible with. Basically, our code goes through these changes, and sometimes the files that get minified and compressed and moved into another file, when your error log comes up, it could tell you that, the error is on line 1000 whatever of app.js instead of where it actually lives. Now what source maps do is they sort of map one-to-one with your code when it makes a transformation so that the errors in your dev tools or when you're looking at your CSS in your, in your style tab It actually gives you the correct file, whether that's a stylus file or a SAS file, it gives you the actual correct file, file location and file line and all that stuff rather than the uh, end up compiled one, like sort of the end one so that you actually know where to look for when you get these errors or these whatevers and you're less flying in the dark. Because if you're not using source maps and all this stuff's compiled and it says it is an error on line, you know, 10,000, whatever, you really have no idea where to look. Yeah. So this really just all it does is it gives you a map, like a treasure map. It's like here's the error. Let's go find that error. You know,
1: super helpful, especially when you have React components. It will tell you exactly which component. And um, most most browser dev tools will actually allow you to peer into your. That's what source maps are. But if you have the file locally on your computer, it will uh, it'll show you the source file. So it'll show you your your stylus file or your SAS file or your React component in DevTools so you can actually see where that thing is.
0: Yeah, love them.
1: Next one I have here is make full use of all of the console methods. So uh, probably on my tombstone, (laughs) we'll say, Wes showed people console.table. Because (laughs) of all the work I do for for teaching people things, probably the one that I get the most praise for is showing people console.table, which is when you have an array of objects and each of those objects have the same properties. Like let's say you have uh, an array of people and each person has a name, a last name, an age, and a dog. Uh, what you can do is you can console.table that array and it will show you a table of each of those rather than you console logging just a, just a huge dump of objects. And you have to open every single object up individually, right? So along with that, there's like a whole bunch of other methods there. And you can go into the Chrome DevTools or uh, any, or sorry, the MDN for console and you can see. And one of the ones that I really like, especially when you your console gets a bit messy, you've got console logs from all over the place and you haven't cleaned them up yet. Uh, like, I know that's probably not a good practice, but we all do it and you all have too many console logs going on. So what console.group will do is it'll allow you to open up a group. You can console log as much as you want, and then you can console.groupend. Uh, and what that will do is it will just tidy them up into a nice closed group, and you can use a little arrow to open and close that group. And there's also another method for default opening that group as well. And it's cool because th- you can visually sh- see that this is for that one specific console group that I did.
0: Nice. Okay, cool. Another one that seems uh, a sort of obvious here is opening your stuff up in another browser. And now for me, I have lots of in browser lots of browsers installed on my computer. Like I have like three different versions of Chrome, you know, Chrome, Chrome Canary, the beta, Chrome Firefox, Firefox Developers Edition, Firefox Nightly, like all of these browsers, it's really important to try your thing in another environment. And sometimes it's a issue of a browser issue, right? Like the problem is the browser itself and how it's working. And other times it could be like an extension. Maybe there's a, an extension installed on one browser that you don't have installed in another browser and that's actually Always causing an extension. Problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I could run into that problem so many times. So uh, also maybe your browser is out of date, like Chrome Canary gets updates all the time and there's often some issues in Chrome Canary. So checking to see if there's like a new update and just running and restarting your current browser is a, is a good little thing to do, too. But basically just trying your stuff out in different environments and seeing how the change responds to those in different environments is, is something that's always necessary if you're trying to figure out a problem.
1: Yeah, always. And that's actually a bit of a problem for me right now is often I'll get people reporting issues with my player, and it's almost always they've had an extension installed. Whether it's uh, like one big problem I have right now is Privacy Badger mm. blocks Vimeo sometimes. So people <laughs> just are just sometimes. watching it. And all of a sudden, they it says, for privacy reasons, we cannot load this video. And the, Vimeo play, the Vimeo.js JavaScript library doesn't have a way to catch this exception yet. They're working on it. There's a huge issue open. Hopefully, it'll be solved soon because... It's funny, I have a little snippet now that says, hey, try turning Privacy Badger off. <laughs> nice. Next one has to do with the whole breakpoints and debugger command that I said earlier, and it's stepping into and stepping over functions. So again, when you have JavaScript and you want to see exactly how it's running, when you set up breakpoint, it will pause JavaScript. And then you can use these the little arrows in DevTools to either step into functions, meaning that you could just click, 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 and that will run every single line by line by line. And then you can also step over a function, meaning just run this function and and pause at the next function that's going to be running. And I find this, I don't use this all that much, but I do find whenever I have a especially tricky issue where I'm not sure where things are happening, like maybe there's not necessarily an error message, but something weird is happening with my data. And I want to know exactly where this is happening. And this kind of leads into my next point is by setting a breakpoint, then stepping over it, what you can do is it gives you the option to peer into both your data. You can look into your window object and see all the data that's in there. You can console log things that are in scope, but it also gives you a peer into the scope of the function and the scope of the application where it's running. So you can open up this thing called scope and it will show you what your currently scoped variables are. Let's say you're looping using a for each. It will show you what your L and I variables are at the current time. And and if they're undefined at a time that where you're trying to call a method on it, then you, then you know exactly why that's happening.
0: Yeah. And scope is an issue that can definitely plague a lot of people. Like, what do I actually have access to? What is this? actually mean right now. And so this is definitely a great way to get some insight into that. Another good one is to create a small replication in either like a code pen or one thing that I've been doing lately is if I need a small reproduction, did I say replication? Yeah, replication, reproduction. Yeah. If you need a small version of what you're working on or to try to find an error, I oftentimes will go for a create react app and I'll build a little create react app and I'll just build only that thing that is messing up in uh, the create react app or if it's CSS and JavaScript based maybe a code pen or any of those things and uh, those are nice because they're easy to share but a create react app you can just share the github or whatever but the point being is taking your code out of its current environment and putting it into an environment that is a bit more I guess what's the word I'm looking for it's like uh you know when there's an outbreak situation when there's like a Quarantined. You're, quarantined. you're like quarantining or isolating your code in a way that it gives you uh, that ability to see exactly if the error is in your code or maybe it's in the environment in which your code is running. But if you can't reproduce the error in a pristine environment and everything's working fine, then chances are there's not an error with whatever libraries or anything that you're using and the chances are that the error is that the in the environment that they're being run in. Um, and not, not to mention, it also makes it way easier to show someone someone else that someone else can look at this code and say, hey, actually, you messed up on line 34, dummy. Like, check it out. I, I guess to me that creating and taking your code into a new context is such a big thing to figuring out where the sort of context of the problem is.
1: I think this is probably the most helpful tip for newbie programmers, because when I was learning, what would happen is I would just try to tell someone my problem and they would say, "Okay, can you make a JS fiddle? And i just be like, oh, I don't have time for that. Just (laughs) tell me what's wrong with my code. And almost always when I was recreating the production or what is this word we're trying to say, trying to replicate it, reproduce the error, you would (laughs) stumble upon what was actually (laughs) happening because it forces you to go line by line and really think about how you're you're doing it. So, yeah, uh, I can't. It might seem like a waste of time to actually make this thing error out again, but almost always you're going to find the issue. Uh, As it
0: happens, I I was about to say that exact same thing. Right? It is such a. It is one of those things that always seems like a giant pain in the ass and like a huge time sink. And then you do it. It is almost always worth it.
1: Totally. Speaking of worth it, whoa. was that good at all? Burr, burr, I don't burr, think burr, so. Burr. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about our sponsor, which is FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a cloud accounting software that I use for my business. And I highly recommend anybody who has a small business, whether you're a freelancer or have a couple employees, uh, you're trying to keep track of invoices, keeping uh, invoices in multiple different currencies. I, I now have, so far this year, have invoices in four different currencies that are going on. If you've got expenses, if you need to keep track of your time, how much time you're working on specific, specific projects. I use that a lot when I was doing hourly based billing for some of my clients what I would do is just turn on the timer or at the end of the day, I would say, okay, I spent six hours on this project. I would sum up in three or four bullet points what I had worked on. And then at the end of the month, it was really easy to generate an invoice that was detailed exactly what was happening on each of those days. So sign up for FreshBooks at freshbooks.com forward slash syntax and use syntax into the how did you hear about us? And you're going to get a 30-day unrestricted free trial.
0: Nice. Yeah, love that. What else do you got for me? Here's a here's a, a good one. Uh, and this is always one that I really frown at when it comes about. But take a break. Uh, there will be so many times there will be a weekend I'm like working hard. I'm frustrated or something. And my wife yeah. will just be like, take a break. Like, go for a walk. You'll figure it out if you do that because it always works. And I'll be like, whatever, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm so close to solving this bug. And she'll be like, no, no, no. And, like, and I, I take a break, I go for a walk, I do something else. And sure enough, I always solve the problem. Totally. Or I just think about it in a different light. Because taking a break allows your brain to continue working on it without the sort of like stress of looking at the same things. And it gives you a new mindset. It allows you to come back to your code with a totally new viewpoint. And really just, again, will illuminate some of the potential issues. So taking a break and taking a step back from your code Code, allowing your brain to sort of process it for a little bit big 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 tip and it's one that's easy that people often like to not use
1: i can't tell you how many times i've solved issues by just going to the gym or having a shower or just giving it a rest for a couple of days and you come back to it with a totally new mindset and it's usually not like a oh a simple quick fix it's usually like a, oh i should be approaching this in a totally different way And just giving your mind, the mind is crazy in that if you just give it time, it will just work on that in the background process. It's a service worker for your body.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice.
1: Next one is something called rubber duck debugging. And uh, I love this because it is similar to the reproducing it. But the, what people recommend is just put a rubber duck on your desk and talk your problem through to that rubber duck. Or if you have other people in the office, because what happens is when you have an issue and you're trying to figure out what's wrong, if you explain what you're doing, how you're approaching it and how the issue is happening, Often by forcing yourself to out loud say the steps that is happening, you're going to stumble upon, oh, I clearly wasn't checking for X, Y and Z or, oh, that was so stupid of me. I did this. So put a rubber duck on your I've actually thought about just getting rubber ducks as swag at some point and just putting them on your desk because it's so funny how you can solve your problems just by talking to a rubber duck at your desk.
0: Yeah, and it's fun, right? I mean, it's Yeah. It's got a fun name and a fun little thing. Yeah. (laughs) Big fan. (laughs) Another big one is to check Slack for GitHub issues. I get a lot of people tweet at me or send me emails of questions they have and then I ask them to maybe do like a search in GitHub to see if it's a problem with the library and chances are if it is a problem with the library, then they're most likely is an issue already there and they're tracking it. And if it's not, there's chances are someone's run into this issue and seen this error message before. And uh, maybe you just made a mistake and this GitHub, you know, issue line will show you where that mistake will be. Somebody will say, oh, well, I actually need to do this instead of this. So even just checking GitHub issues is something that I sort of obsessively do anytime i run into a mistake just to see Very most, first and foremost, if there's already a map laid out for me to fix whatever I'm doing so I don't have to figure out uh, where I made the mistake. Somebody else may have already made that mistake and figured it out.
1: I think at the same point as well, if you ever find a GitHub issue that you are having the same issue or the same error message What I like to do, even if it's like an issue that's a year or two old, is just leave your solution in the comments, because what will happen is over the next year or so, there's going to be hundreds of people that stumble upon that on a Google search, and then they're going to give it a thumbs up because the GitHub reactions now, you can usually just whiz through an entire issue's comments and find the one issue that has 400 thumbs ups on it, and you know, okay, that clearly this is the silly thing that we all missed, and here's the solution to it.
0: Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Next one is use the node dash dash inspect flag. So this is not front end related. This is back end related. And for the longest time, you have been able to use Chrome dev tools on your node application, because if you console.log in a node application, you get it in your terminal. And unless you're using um, something like chalk or colors, the output of console.logs in the in your terminal is very very hard to read and it's usually just a mess with other logs that are going in there so uh, if you now pass the dash dash inspect flag to your node process it will fire up a like a local server that will allow you to talk to chrome dev tools and now i used to use a, a chrome extension called nim n-i-m uh, and what that would do is it automatically would open up the DevTools when you started a new process. And there's probably still some use case for that. But now Chrome DevTools will just show you a little node icon in right to the left of the elements panel. And uh, it's, it's fantastic because you can now get a full blown console and network tab, a couple of the other tabs as well. For your node process and you can use console.group and and all these things debugger commands everything that you're used to using in, in the normal chrome dev tools in your node apps do you use this at all scott i don't yeah no but mostly because my i know my
0: <laughs> my site is based on meteor and i know you can use it with meteor and everything like yeah. that but i just haven't and i definitely need to um, you just don't have issues yeah no i have no bugs ever in fact i, I have zero <laughs> bugs i mean my code is absolutely pristine constantly
1: Cool. I think that's all the. Uh, oh, we the... have
0: one more. Oh, one more. Sorry, one go more, ahead. Which is uh, to read the code in the library because okay, so code authors and open source authors are a lot of time are writing their code and uh, sad that sad thing is is you know sometimes the docs they fall by the wayside and uh, maybe this code. Uh, has some features that are undocumented or not fully documented. Maybe a function takes some parameters in a certain way and then the API isn't documented correctly. Or maybe you're just running into an issue with the library itself. Now, this one's a little bit more advanced if you're not like necessarily the best at reading code. But if you have access to the repo and the pre-compiled code, you can see the code as authored and, and see exactly what the API should be like. And you can actually look at the author's code to see all sorts of stuff. I mean, if you're using a method, right, then maybe you should see exactly what that method accepts, what it outputs, what it actually does inside of it. And maybe uh, not all of it is the most important part, but let's say you're just running into an issue. It doesn't hurt to look into the code and see exactly what the code expects or how it was written. I learned a lot about a library called React Spring the other day just by looking at the actual implementation of it to see that, oh, well, this thing actually does accept some props and configuration options that weren't exactly how it was shown in some of their examples. And because of that, I was able to actually get some stuff done without filing an issue to ask a question or or find someone else to say, hey, can this do this or can this do that? Just by looking at the code.
1: Totally. And on the same thread, often... The people who write these libraries are not the same type of people who write good documentation. So, like on the flip side, I'm not a great library author, but I'm great at providing examples and explaining things. So, I sort of find that as my calling to say, like, okay, take 20 minutes out of your day here and and update the docs because these these author libraries are putting in lots and lots of time actually building this thing. And if you can take a load off both in terms of support as well as, as helping other people that are using it, then it's gonna go a long way.
0: It is. And the best part is is like if you are running into an issue, chances are other people are running into yeah. an issue, too. And if you can cover that in the docs, you're going to save so many people. Other, like, time, like why run into the same issue that everyone else has run into when somebody at the beginning of this, like, car crash could have just fixed the issue and then there wouldn't have been a big car pile up, to continue that metaphor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so uh, those are a lot of our uh, debugging tips, sort of willy nilly stuff that you can use all over your debugging process to improve how you do your stuff. I think in this part of the episode, we want to take some time to talk about the different sort of uh, browser debugging tools that come in both your Chrome developer tools as well as your Firefox developer tools. Because although a lot of us open up this and see the elements tab or the styles tab or the console, then a lot of us don't necessarily go past those tabs and past those tabs are where some there's really excellent stuff and not to mention more and more excellent stuff like constantly being added to Chrome. And so because of that, I think, I think, yeah, we should maybe highlight some of our favorite tools. We did mention the network tab earlier on in this. And I use the network tab almost more than any of these. uh, Well, I guess some of the extension ones or whatever, but I use the network tab all the time, especially when working with queries to see what data, if the data call was successful, why it wasn't successful and where the stuff is coming in. I know we talked a bunch about this earlier, but I use this one a lot, especially for the waterfall, too. You can see how long things took. And maybe uh, there's some performance optimizations you can make here and there based on how long things are taking to load.
1: Or if you're trying to, trying to debug like a Ajax request and often what I'll see people is do is they they write the code to fetch the data and then they write the code to parse the data and then they write the code to display the data and it doesn't work. And, and you're kind of sitting there being like, oh, what did I do wrong, right? Uh, with the network tab, you can just say like, okay, is the request Firing. Mm -hmm. Good. Is the request bringing back data? Good. What does that data look like? And then am I parsing it properly? And then if all of those things work, then there's probably issue with the displaying step. So narrowing down where it's actually happening is really important.
0: Okay, so next that's frequently used is the performance tab, which allows you to click a record button, reload your site, or do some sort of action and see the code that is being run in what's called sort of a waterfall of code, like one function which calls another function, which calls another function, and it sort of all goes down in this like sort of triangular, like an upside down triangle shape. And this is really sort of beneficial for seeing where things might take a long time. Maybe there's a loop in there somewhere that is. doing too many things, and not only that, but you can see the screenshots of your application as it's loading, as it's working. You can enable CPU throttling to make your computer under higher stress. You can enable network throttling to slow down and see some like slow 3G networks or even offline. This thing is just so incredibly handy for seeing how your application loads and the performance of it. I use this one, again, in addition to the network tab, I use this one all the time, especially when I'm uh, taking time to make my stuff load faster.
1: Awesome. I use that quite a bit as well. And uh, sometimes when I have like a 20 minutes or so, what I like to do is just go into the network tab and see like how much can I shave off of my my page loading. And I remember I, I went on my CSS grid site and I put, what was it, Cloudinary, Pass sponsor. or I put their like image compression URL in front of all of my images and I shaved off like 500 milliseconds or something like that. And, and, and quite a bit of like, I think like, Four or 500 megs worth of, of download. I was pretty happy about that. So it's kind of fun to see okay, where are the big things coming from and how can I actually get those down? Sort of what I love in in these dev tools is specifically firefox has a lot of like little edge case tools that not a lot of people know about because i know that a lot of people are on chrome but uh, firefox's dev tool game in the last probably a year or two years has been been really really good we've, we've talked about the css grid dev tools are fantastic but it like the little things like the fonts tab have you ever like tried to debug a font.
0: Oh, my God. And you're
1: like, I don't know if it's my computer font or if it's actually working. It's one of the, the my
0: top the ten fonts. like least favorite things to debug is why isn't this font loading or why isn't this font working?
1: Yeah. And what you can do is you just go to the fonts tab of your like you select like a paragraph tag or a heading in Firefox DevTools, hit your fonts tab, and then it will show you which web fonts you're loading for the page. And then it will tell you other fonts in the page and it'll tell you if they're system fonts or if they're web fonts. So that way, you know, and I've done this many of times. I looked great on my computer. I deployed it and then you forgot to or, or the web font wasn't working for some odd reason because it was just. A font installed in your computer.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and along the lines of that, here's a, a little a tasty treat. If you don't know about it, but the three little dots in the next to the X that give you all the settings in the Chrome DevTools. There is a little tab there that says More Tools. And this is going to be where you'll find a whole bunch of awesome little tools just like that in Chrome that you may have never even used before. And this list grows all the time. In fact, one of the options in this list is What's New, which is always worth popping open to see what's new in these latest versions of Chrome or Chrome Canary with the tools that exist. In fact, I was just doing a lot of animation work and there's an animations one in here that allows you to step through an animation animation with a playhead. Anyone who's ever worked in something like After Effects or any sort of animation design library knows that, uh, well, animations on the web are very difficult to really figure out or fine tune because you don't get access to the things like a playhead. And this basically, anytime you trigger an animation, for instance, if I hover over something and there's an animation. It automatically gets logged into this animations thing. You can click the animation. You can drag the playhead around. You can make fine-tune modifications to this, and then re-click the play button to watch the thing go again. So if you're really doing some animation debugging, this thing is super, super cool. Uh, not to mention just the, just for the sheer amount of uh, customization options it gives you and stuff like that. It's awesome.
1: Uh, all along the same lines of all these little edge casey tools, because like sometimes we just get it's stuck in the elements tab and then and maybe the console and you know a little bit about using a couple of the other ones but there are so you can dive deep into all of these different tools and umar I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I apologize if you're listening to this because I've met him before. Uh, But he has these dev tips and he's been doing this for, I bet, like six years or something like that. He's been posting these little animated GIFs of how to use different features in the dev tools. And he's been tweeting out little GIFs forever. But if you go to Umar, dot rcom forward slash dev dash tips. We'll link it up in the show notes. He's got 171 of these little little tasty nuggets, tasty treats that help you to learn the little edge cases of it. And he also has a course as well, which is moderndevtools.com, which goes into, it uh, looks like a little bit more in depth of it. So I would check that out if you're you're interested in really conquering the different pieces of the dev tools. If the stuff that we're learning today, if you're saying, oh, I didn't know you could do that. We're only scratching the surface here.
0: Yeah. And along those lines of another little one is be one that Firefox got first and then Chrome. Thank God they added this because I love this one, which is the layers in Chrome. It's under more tools, layers. And it's going to show you if you're working with a lot of stuff that is occasionally on or off screen right maybe menus flying in or alerts or something like that and things aren't working you're not quite sure or like 3d stacking order where do things line up on top of one another this layers will show you the entire website with stuff outside of the canvas included so if you have a menu sliding over that menu will be over on the side and you'll see it off of the canvas and you'll see where everything sort of exists really just making sort of debugging these kind of situations way better not to mention there's also 3d views where you can click and drag and see this thing as like sort of a 3d model in space and the cool thing about that is, is then you can really figure out stacking order and maybe why things aren't lining up on top of each other or why you can't see something maybe you can see something and maybe it's just hidden underneath like hidden underneath this stuff so these 3d views and the layers panel are really super cool and can come in really handy when debugging layout
1: Another great one I have is overriding sensors. So if you're ever working with, you want to work with uh, geolocation, you want to fake some data that's coming in. If you want to ever fake the, like fake an iPad, actually a little little hot tip. If you go to Instagram.com and set your, use Chrome DevTools to make it an iPad, you can actually use Instagram on the desktop You can upload photos. You can view stories. I I didn't even know you could do this, but you can. uh, My friend Arlie posted a little tip the other day. And you can, I didn't even know you could use, you can use all of Instagram uploading and liking and commenting and viewing stories from the desktop. If you just fake the user agent as a mobile phone, like an iPad, something like that.
0: Yeah, that. It's awesome. The amount of stuff that you can just you can fake through that. I use it all the time for geolocation. Personally,
1: I was on a uh, here's another little hot tip. Uh, I was on a plane once and the plane had a sometimes they have cheaper rates if you're on a phone for Internet. Uh, (laughs) And and once they had it free if you were on a Blackberry. So I just. I just fired up my uh, dev tools and changed the user agent to a BlackBerry and then I got free internet and then I switched it back and I had free internet for the whole flight.
0: (laughs) Man, that is awesome. (laughs) That is so smart.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you always got to try it. Uh, Anyways, we have different sensors. So what's the, when you tilt your phone, what sensor is that?
0: Uh, Accelerometer.
1: Yeah, the accelerometer. um, I've built some fun stuff in that. You can actually tell via JavaScript, how the user is holding their phone. And if they're turning it and flipping it over, you can fake that. You can fake the geolocation. If you open up Xcode, this isn't in the browser, but if you open up Xcode and you open up the iPhone simulator, you can actually simulate somebody driving a car or the called uh, riding a bike and turning. Um, nah. Because one time I needed to build a, what's it called? A speedometer with HTML5 geolocation. And it tells you the speed in there, but the hard thing is that in order to test that, you have to run down the street. So uh, you can go into, and this is part of my JavaScript 30 course, you can go into Xcode and simulate someone driving or someone riding a bike and someone local, a city traffic or highway traffic.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's just so many of these things and they're all super duper helpful uh, in all sorts of use cases. So I guess another one I wanted to talk about was maybe like, what sort of extensions do you use for Chrome DevTools? I personally have like the Apollo Dev Tools, which are awesome. I have the React Dev Tools, the Redux Dev Tools, the Vue Dev Tools for any of those apps. But in addition, I also have the Lighthouse extension to allow me to to use lighthouse at any given point as well as a json formatter which people comment all the time this this uh, chrome extension is called json formatter and all it does is give you pretty json or you can look at the raw it allows you to collapse it allows you look i use this all the time when looking at data coming in
1: i love it because if you if you hover over a nested node in your json it will tell you the path to actually get to that that nested thing in your JSON. So it'll tell you like person.name.first.abbreviated. It'll show you the all the way down. And then you could just copy that dot path to what you're looking for. Yeah, so nice. Another tab I really like is the application or storage tab. It depends on what browser you're using, but this will often tell you what cookies are set by that browser. So if you're having trouble with something going on or if you actually want to log out a website, you can just clear all the cookies and then refresh the page and you can see exactly what is being set, and then it also show you things like uh, local storage and in index DB, so you can see what data is showing up for that specific domain name. Uh, I, I use those quite a bit. Uh, the co- cookies wasn't in there for the longest time, but it is now, and it's really really good.
0: Nice. One I really like is the Firefox Grid Inspector. It shows you basically everything about the grid lines, the gutters, all that stuff, like oh, what exactly your grid is looking like. And I actually used this one just yesterday. I mean, I use this all the time, but just yesterday I was having an issue in Firefox specifically where the grid was all sorts of weird, but it wasn't weird in any other browser. And I checked it out, and luckily uh, it showed me that there was a whole lot of padding getting applied to things. And it turns out that Firefox doesn't handle a padding percentage on a grid item very well, where all the other ones just sort of uh, view it as a normal. And I use a padding percentage for aspect ratio, like placeholders for images. So because of that, I was able to see that the actual grid cell was way, way bigger than it needed to be. I just simply wrapped each grid cell in a div and it was doing those as the children rather than the one at the percentage bottom. And I could see that it was sort of instantly exactly uh, how to fix that using the Firefox grid tools. Um, so there. if you're working with CSS Grid, I, I'm hoping Chrome uh, implements something that's as good or better than these because they're just so good and, and I use them all the time. But one way that you can avoid having to debug your CSS Grid at all is by using uh, Coffee Cups CSS Grid prototype Whoa. design software.
1: Good transition. So Coffee Cup is a, they make these tools for working, kind of visually building websites. And they contacted me a a while ago. They actually just typed in cssgrid.io. Uh, I think to try to buy it because uh, they were coming out with the CSS Grid product and they found that I had done a course on it. And Then they got in touch and said, hey, like, is there anything that we could do together here? So I, I set up a call with them. And I was like, OK, so you are building uh, what they have is they have this actual program that allows you to visually drag and drop and add elements and use CSS Grid to build an actual website. So I said, OK, that might not be a really good fit with our audience because like we don't really use visual builders, but Show me, right? Uh, And uh, so I I jumped on a call with them and and I actually loaded up the software myself and I started to build a layout based on CSS Grid. And then, so it worked really well. Um, You can add different types of elements. You can change how big they are. All of like, I know a lot about CSS Grid. I did an entire course on it. So I was really given it the gears to see how this thing works. And to my surprise, it worked really well. And then when it exported the code, the code was extremely clean. I guess I'm a bit burned from 10 years ago when we had Dreamweaver and it exported this <laughs> gnarly looking code. But this is absolutely a way that you could visually build you can use their templates that they have or you can just visually build a layout in CSS Grid and that's part of why I like Firefox DevTools because it, it visualizes Grid for you and then you can export this thing to HTML and CSS and you could probably just pick it up from there you could either edit it in this thing or just pick it up from there the code is so clean so I was very very surprised at it uh, and if you're looking for a way to uh, either learn CSS Grid or just build stuff with CSS Grid I'd probably probably recommend checking this on out. They've launched a uh, domain name, cssgrid.cc. And on that, they have the free CSS Grid builder that you can download. You can watch a demo video, how it works. And then they also have a whole bunch of resources on how CSS Grid works. So because like... Part of understanding CSS Grid is, is not just getting a tool. It's it's really thinking and, and tackling a layout in terms of CSS Grid. You really have to to relearn how to do layout when you learn CSS Grid. So they've put together this awesome website at cssgrid.cc that will both give you the tool that you need, as well as the a bunch of information in terms of how to learn CSS Grid. So check it out at cssgrid.cc. And thanks so much to Coffee Cup Software
0: for sponsoring the podcast. Nice. Cool. So I think that pretty much does it. I mean, there's just so much stuff here. There are so many dev tools and we left out probably a whole lot of stuff and debugging and performance tips. So uh, maybe we'll have to do a part two to this where we talk a little bit more in depth about some more dev tools and just really dive into some of that stuff. I don't know if you would be down for that, but I would be down for that.
1: Yeah. Tweet us at SyntaxFM, tweet us your favorite DevTools tips and we'll probably put together another episode on this. My sick pick today is uh, it's not going to be tech related at all, but I posted a picture on Twitter the other day of just my backyard. We're having a beer with my wife in the backyard and and a couple of people said, hey, nice coffee table. And uh, so my sick pick is how I actually got this coffee table. So it's kind of a uh, I I think developers will, will find this interesting. Do you guys have a Habitat for Humanity Restore down there?
0: I think we probably do.
1: Yeah. So Habitat for Humanity has these stores in Canada. They're called the Restore and they sell building materials that people have donated. So someone rips out a kitchen and the, the stuff is still good then they donate it and then you can go in and and buy it. So one thing that they sell is granite countertops from counters that people have ripped out and replaced with new stuff. So what we did is we went and found a uh, piece of granite that was, I don't know, maybe three feet by two and a half feet. And it's heavy as hell, but it's like a 150 bucks for a huge piece of granite. And then we built some cedar, some cedar, like a, like a base for it that, you could put the granite on top of and it's like the best coffee table for outside ever because it's super heavy because it's hundreds of pounds from the granite. (laughs) It's it stays outside all year round. It it handles the snow just fine because it's literally granite and cedar. And it's it's great for the kids because you can just wipe it down. You can hose it down. It doesn't get musty or moldy or anything like that because it's natural materials. So a hot tip if you're trying to build some sort of outdoor coffee table, maybe look for a piece of granite and uh, and build a table out of it.
0: I thought that was really cool when I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm actually very, very into this idea. So I'm definitely have to do a little bit My more research. My parents built
1: one Probably 18 years ago, they built one and they still have the same one and they've never sealed it or anything. And and sitting outside for 16, 18 Canadian winters. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how well I think they've rebuilt the cedar base once in that 18 years.
0: That's amazing. Check it out.
1: Sick pick. Sick tip. Sick pick.
0: tip pick. My uh, <laughs> sick pick here is going to be for an app that I'm sure a lot of people have already. But for those of you don't know, this app saved my butt. Uh, it's called Hotel Tonight gives you really cheap rates on a hotel, specifically if you need them like now, like if you ever need a hotel and you're somewhere, a hotel tonight uh, gave me a like literally like 50% off of a hotel. So when I was in Paris on my layover, instead of like having to stay at a crappy hotel for X amount of dollars or whatever, I was able to stay at this really sweet, fancy hotel for the exact same price. And not to mention the app itself is really cool, just really well-made. So I always a, a big fan of well-made, cool apps So Hotel Tonight has saved my butt on multiple occasions when I need to book a hotel at the last minute. Uh, So yeah, sick pick. That's cool. I saw an ad for this on TV
1: the other day. Really? And it said, Hotel Tonight. For hotels that are not just for
0: tonight, because <laughs> you can apparently <laughs> oh, book a yeah, yeah. couple can, days out. And I was yes. like, oh, unfortunate name, but it sounds like a great app. <laughs> well, I think I think for a while they could only book hotels for tonight. I'm not. Oh, don't yeah. Don't quote me on that. But I think that's the way it was. And then they just realized that maybe the market could be larger if you could book for more than a few nights in advance.
1: That's like uh, Hotwire. Is now just showing you the name of the hotel, being like the last six customers got this hotel, and every time because people hate that sort of guessing game. I, I, my sick pick a couple months ago was a website where you could decode the what hotel it was, but now they're just showing it to you. <laughs>
0: nice, cool. cool,
1: sick pick from me. Or no, shameless I already plug. did my sick pick. Shameless plug. I'm just gonna shameless plug all my courses at westboss.com forward slash courses. You can check it out. I've got some on ES6 and React and all kinds of good stuff. I am almost ready to record my advanced React course. Um, I've, it's funny because uh, Prisma, which is the, the GraphQL database, they they rebranded from Cool the other day, and uh, they have had some major changes in the last couple of months. Apollo has had some major changes in the last couple of months. NextJS has had some major changes. Yeah. And hopefully, fingers crossed, everything has stopped changing for at least a couple of months. And I'm glad that I've I've waited this long because it would have all been out of date in a month or two. But it's uh, it's all being reviewed by a couple of the best people in the industry at this stuff right now, uh, and then I'm I'm ready to record. So probably a couple more weeks before you can get it. I know everyone's uh, chomping at the bit to get it.
0: Yeah, so that's the whole thing. Is like the growth in our industry is amazing for like getting new features and new easy ways of doing things and uh, new products and whatever. <laughs> but yeah. But for us content creators. It is very difficult. You you spend all this time agonizing over decisions about what software and what tools to use. And then you yeah. pick one thing and then it's invalidated and it totally ruins everything. Uh, that's happened to me so many times. That's, that's definitely like a learning experience about how to design courses that are more bulletproof. But that's so tough. Totally.
1: And on the flip side, when something does work very nicely, like my Node course has been for about a year, year and a half, it's been out. Not a year and a half, about a year it's been out. And it hasn't had any major updates yeah. other than a, cu- a couple of things here and there. And then people ask me if it's out of date all the time. Yeah, same here. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're, you're kind of damned either way. But that, that's the industry, right? Like that we we chose to work in it, and you kind of have to to keep up to date with it. And and by keeping up to date, we become you have a bit of a competitive advantage over a lot of those garbage tutorials that become out of date and and they don't bother the time to to update them.
0: Yeah. My my shameless plug is going to be my level two React course. This is going to be coming out this week on level up tutorials, it's already recorded. I was hoping to get all the editing done on my vacay, but it will not vacay my trip to Romania. Wish it was a vacay. <laughs> I did not get all of it done, but I'm hopefully going to crush the rest of the editing in the next day or two and get this thing out for release on Wednesday, if not Thursday, probably. This is a course, it's an intermediate level React course. And the idea behind it is that it's covering pretty much the next level of stuff that my React 16 for Everyone course didn't cover, or maybe it wasn't, didn't exist. So it covers the context API, it covers uh, using portals, it covers really, really sick animations. I'm doing sort of like the Tinder interface where you're dragging a card around, and these are extremely performant animations. You're going to be sort of blown away by how good these things look in any sort of regard. We go over sort of all the systems about using a library called React Spring to build these really excellent animations. And again, we go through and build some practical stuff too, like an animated modal using portals, using render props. I mean, there's like the first few videos of the series just set you up to understand now concepts that are becoming very, very popular like render props in React. So this is going to be an intermediate skills course, but it's going to be nice and easy ramp up to set you up to learn and use all of the new and awesome techniques in React. So level two React at leveluptutorials.com forward slash store, where you can subscribe, get access to that along with every other tutorial, or you can purchase that one outright if subscriptions aren't your thing.
1: Wicked. I think that's it for this week. You got anything else, Scott? Nothing. Awesome. Thanks so much to Coffee Cup, CSS Grid Builder, and FreshBooks for sponsoring. And we'll see you next
0: week. Peace. Peace. Head on over to syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.